0: Welcome to Just Go Grind, a show that focuses on helping you launch and grow a business and navigate the ups and downs of entrepreneurship. I'm your host, Justin Gordon, and in this episode, we have Alec Thompson, who is the co-founder and CEO of Risk Cast Solutions. Now, Risk Cast Solutions is a company that's really trying to innovate in the construction industry, helping increase productivity, and eliminate outdated paper-based processes. In this episode, we go through How Alec and his co-founder and the team have built the company over time, what they've done to grow it, their experience going through Newark Venture Partners and their accelerator, and so much more. As always, the Just Go Grind podcast. You can find the show notes at JustGoGrind.com slash podcast and support the show by leaving a rating and review over in Apple Podcasts. Just a heads up, we have a little issue with the audio early on. It does improve as the episode goes on. Without further ado, here is Alec Thompson, co-founder and CEO of RiskCast Solutions. Alec, welcome to the show. Justin, thanks very much. Yes, and with with RiskCast Solutions, I'm curious, like, what is RiskCast, and then uh, I would also want to know how did this originally get started, Alec.
1: I, I appreciate the question, and, and absolutely, uh, RiskCast is construction software for the field. So uh, the folks like out there on site actually setting steel, pouring concrete, um, where construction software that digitizes what's done on paper today, gives project teams real-time analytics. Um, Very excited to be doing it. Where that came from was about 25 years of experience in the field uh, in construction with my co-founder, Reggie Archabla. And Reggie and I uh, spent some time at Skanska, and the the story of how we got started was a a little maybe unique from a CEO's perspective. uh, Reggie was coding for quite some time behind the scenes, thinking through some solutions. One day asked me into his office, showed me what he was doing, told me he was excited to be getting started. And I congratulated him and he said, no, I, I invited you in because I wanted you to start with me. Um, about, <laughs> about three years ago, that kind of conversation was the start of us uh, setting up uh, a business and, and launching out on our own. So um, came to it through fortune of a good friend that I'd worked with for about 14 years that, that really had a great solution. We shared a passion uh, for solving problems for the field and, uh, and, and kind of got started. Without knowing a whole lot, uh, which maybe is typical uh, for first-time founders.
0: <laughs> yeah, I've been interviewed a number of, of first-time founders, and yeah, you kind of just figuring things out. And and what I'm always curious about, especially with first-time founders and and with the company, then, like, what did that initial version of of what you built look like, and what did you see that being? So
1: the initial version, um, and and actually still to the date of uh, kind of how we run the system large platform, uh, a platform to solve a problem we had lived. So a problem we knew really well. Um, and the the fun of that, I guess, was launching out as a business. Uh, the market wasn't buying platforms. You know, you couldn't sell platforms. You were selling app solutions and siloed solutions, and we didn't have those. So it was an interesting launch, again, as first-time founders, uh, knowing we were solving the right problem, but then figuring out how to Communicate that to the market in a way that the market would then um, consume it.
0: With that, then, I mean, how were you getting the word out initially for this product? I mean, for, you have a platform that handles all that. Like, what were you doing then at the beginning, Alec?
1: Yeah, so uh, anything and everything we could think of. Uh, <laughs> it, <laughs> it, uh, we both were at the time, as uh, we launched, working from our apartment. So, uh, Reggie's president, CTO, and he was full time developing, and I was kind of doing everything else that we might need to do, which when you're a first time founder, you don't even know what that means. Um, But I did know we had to sell something. And so there was a whole lot of reaching out through LinkedIn, reaching out through email contacts, trying to attend networking events. Uh, New York is a great place actually to launch a um, a startup for a lot of different reasons. And so uh, just building the awareness that we were out there and and really uh, it took a good year of us both building the product and building that awareness. To get that really first valuable introduction and customer, uh, so it was a bit of a grind to to get to there, and and since then, I think all that work we did that first year continues to pay itself off. But it was definitely a first year heads down, and uh, from the outside looking in, probably didn't look like it was going to go very far. <laughs>
0: And in those early days as well then, Alec, I mean, with that taking that long to get the first customer too, were you was that living off of savings? Were you still working at another job at the time during that that process? I'm, I'm curious about that. For very little bit of
1: time working at at my corporate job still. So we uh, we announced to our corporate um, offices what we were doing, uh, signed some paperwork, did things the right way. They had been great to us. Um, I've been there for that point now, maybe 12 years. Uh, Reggie's been there his entire career. So we went ahead and uh, and did that the right way, and then set some end dates. Uh, mine was uh, a few months
0: after we really got going,
1: and and then yeah, it was live off savings and bootstrap.
0: <laughs> Which is what many many entrepreneurs have to do. And and I, I, I I'm I'm curious with the getting your first kind of customer on board. What was that like then? How long did that take to close? I know it took a, a year to get to that point, but even once you start having discussions and everything with that. Take me to that
1: first customer. So our first customer came to us through an introduction from another software company, uh, which was phenomenal. And they happened to be here in New York, which, again, also great. Um, happened to be a third-generation family-run company. So a lot of things lined up in our favor. And we wound up with um, a phenomenal champion who, at the time, was a project manager for an electrical contractor and is now their director of operations technology, I think is the title. But uh through the course of launching another system and then ours kind of found himself in a new position. The company was looking to continue to evolve their technology and leading edge. So that journey, I guess, you know, bootstrapping to that point, finding that first customer, and then we get to that negotiations table with that first customer, and that's an uncomfortable place to be when you <laughs> bootstrapped yourself to a thin razor's edge. Um but we also knew it was important to be independent and it was important to be a good vendor for them, as well as um, as well as manage a business properly. So we we made some hard decisions on our side and and did some financing on our end behind the scenes. Uh, in short, for founders listening, that's basically called liquidating my four hundred and one k. Wow. We bet on ourselves and we and we did that, which gave us an opportunity to sign that contract in a way that was probably healthy for both sides of the equation, versus you know perhaps becoming a little bit of an in house solution for them incubated. Uh, we chose to, to stay independent and really build it out. And they've been continue to be amazing partners for us um, as we've continued to grow.
0: And with that first customer then, you're saying building it out and developing this, like what did that look like for, what that solution for that that particular customer was going to be and understanding how that was part of your, your platform kind of moving forward too? Yeah, so Reggie and I came from a
1: heavy civil construction background. So for the folks that aren't construction people uh, listening in, We were the folks that were out building bridges and highways and tunnels. And our system, our software works uh, designed as a platform for people managing people on site, equipment on site, and production. So uh, when you look around a major city, you might see lots of fancy names in construction. And a lot of them are managing work, uh, which means they have subcontractors doing work, electricians, plumbers, mechanicals. Um, Reggie and I were actually the people doing the work. And we designed a platform for a contractor like ourselves. What we realized was this market, this electrical contractor, was a great example. Um, This market for these specialty trade contractors was actually our bigger market. And this first contractor taught us a lot of things about the needs of a specialty trade versus the needs of the heavy civil we came from. Um, What was um, great on our side was Reggie's vision of the architecture of the product being as big as it is Platform-wise, we were able to to uh, configure and flex the system to support both these specialty trades and our heavy civil uh, with data structure that everybody was looking for. And, and that contractor spent about six months with us, helping us develop that front-end user experience that would be critical since then to gaining more traction and adoption.
0: To that point of the developer... how did you go about acquiring, not acquiring, but necessarily, but like working within the tech talent to build this out, to understand what you you want to develop with this, because that that can be such a difficult part of any company, building out the tech side of it. I mean, how did you go about that, Alec? As far as um, finding the developers and doing it, or as far as the actual, um, what parts of the product to develop? Yeah, I mean, I'm curious about both, but to start with, finding the developers in the first place.
1: So this is where, again, we might be a bit unique, but having a founder that is technical um, he, Reggie was designing about 90% of the solution at that time. Um, okay. so for about those first year and a half, two years, uh, that was, that was really how that worked out. So it wasn't hard for us to find the talent. Uh, what we were doing was, uh, augmenting Reggie's skills with some folks that could do some, some, uh, tangential items, but Reggie was core to the product de- development at that point.
0: And then deciding on the features and stuff, was that a matter of just working with the, the client at the time, understanding what their needs were, but also things that would then transfer to, as you mentioned, kind of these other industries, other uh, parts of it in terms of the product development?
1: And that Justin, that's a great point. And that's the place where I think it would have been easy to make a mistake. Um, with a great first customer, um, lots of things you could make a mistake on with a first customer. Um, one of the big ones would have been just developing things that that they were asking for. Fortunately for us, that customer, and fortunately for us, advice we've been given and listened to, we designed those pieces of the tool for them that were global for the rest of the industry. And so as we developed pieces for that customer, they were able to be put in the platform and used by others uh, for the most part. So occasionally we do something a a bit more custom, but about 90% that's been developed from that relationship has been something we could use in a global global sense.
0: That's, that's a huge piece of it. I mean, I'm just thinking of other companies and how you can, especially early on when you're really just trying to do anything you can to get like, the first <laughs> customers, that's and true. you're just like, we'll just, we'll make it work for them because we need the money to pull this off. But then you're kind of effed later on for stuff you want to build. hundred percent. Correct. And, and fortunately <laughs>
1: they were aware of that. Um, they had taken a journey with another software company and they were aware that that could be a, a problem. And yeah. so, timing again, very fortuitous for us.
0: That's great. And one thing I want to talk about too is the, the business model. So, take me through as a, as a platform here. What was the business model behind what this was going to be? Your, your pricing structure, that type of thing. I'm, I'm curious about that too.
1: Uh, so, this is this is one of those places where if you're a founder, uh, don't fall in love with anything specific because it'll change. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. So, we had a pricing model based on our experience of on construction sites. Um, we kind of had done the backwards math of a large project. Has about this many people and what's the support need and you know yada yada and we've done the math and said for project projects of these different sizes here's the different prices and we basically priced it up as a tiered system uh, based on revenue so whether it was a large project like here in new york laguardia out in uh, california lax um, has lots of projects that one of these mega jobs um, where they fell in the tier versus say a small mechanical contractor that might do 10 million dollars of business a year um, And that's how we priced it out initially. um, We've iterated two or three times since then. And we have settled into what we think is a really nice pricing model for our industry, which is usage-based, so everybody can justify why it costs what it costs, but then an annual price. So we use the calculator to kind of come up with with the math for a 12-month contract. And then we sign a 12-month contract. And if, based on usage, they go over, you know, we're pretty forgiving. We're in the SaaS model of things. Um, we're, we're not, you know, you know, an extra five people doesn't change our support model. Really. So, uh, for the moment that seems to be working really well and our industry, finds it very attractive, but it did take us a few iterations to land there.
0: Yeah. And pricing is so difficult to get right. Cause there's no quote unquote right answer. And it is a lot of, of testing, uh, that point as well, um, iteration along the way, uh, how did you go about that? Was it just like, as you get. A, a new customer come in, you're, you're playing with pricing as like, how did you go about kind of testing that side of things out?
1: Yeah. To so every, every new customer is a new opportunity to try to get it right. Right. Um, so each new customer, we <laughs> would, uh, this is what we said we were going to do and we'd launch it and, you know, we'd set it out there and we'd hear the feedback and, and make adjustments with them. And what it came down to was us getting about the right dollar figure felt right for the size of the company. And then we, and then we used our system, which tracked headcount, to put that calculator together by saying, all right, everybody's feeling comfortable at these dollars. Let's build a usage model so everybody can understand why we have this dollar. Um, and I think a big part at least for our industry is understanding why are we paying this much or why are we paying this little? Um, how are we competing with apps versus we're a platform? And being able to show the usage allows people to understand the math and I think um, in a platform sale, in an enterprise type system, understanding the math is valuable for them selling themselves, right? Them buying the tool versus just a big number on a contract. And everybody always then wants to know why is it that number?
0: <laughs> yeah, like why that particular number? It could be many different numbers.
1: <laughs> yeah, they, they all know we're a startup, sure, right? They, you know, <laughs> they they know they we can throw darts in the wall if we really wanted to, right?
0: Yeah. yeah exactly and, and it's funny i mean a lot of the the pricing especially for for startups i mean a, a lot of it can be arbitrary i mean completely arbitrary especially mm-hmm. in the beginning you have no idea you're like you're just testing things out and you're just saying okay well we've got a customer at this point but uh you know i talked to someone recently on, on the show who mentioned like their customers were basically telling them like you should double the price <laughs> and he's like wait what <laughs> and it's like yeah you, your thing is too viable. like we think we don't, it's almost like you build more trust with having sometimes a, a more pricier product because it's that trust of built to of like, oh, okay, this is legit, this is premium. So there's so much to be said about pricing.
1: You're just, you're right. And, and I, I've been told numerous times we used to offer a free pilot, stop, don't offer free pilots. No, <laughs> no such thing on our you know, Have a paid pilot. No matter what that means, have a paid pilot uh, for so many different reasons. Uh, but from a customer's perspective, they, they put value on it as, as their people try the system. They have some value because they know there's some skin in the game. Um, yeah. Interesting. We were perfectly happy to give it away as a pilot to get them hooked. Um, you know, our pilots have, have all but one been successful. So we were like, yeah, it's a it's great idea. When they said charge form, we felt a little bad about doing, the, doing that, but we've sold more pilots because of it uh, versus them being free.
0: Yeah, and and as you've grown with RiskCast, I mean, at what point did you decide we want to raise some funding? Because uh, I know you raised like a six hundred thousand dollar pre seed funding round from Newark Venture Partners. How did you get to that point of like, okay, now we need to raise funding?
1: <laughs> I think this is the these are the fun stories to tell as you become successful. Um, we're not we're not successful in the stretch that I would tell all the fun stories, but I'll at least say this: uh, <laughs> you know, you need to raise money because you need to eat. Um, and is and, that? and we were we were kind of <laughs> there, um, but you can't look that way either. Um, I'm sure uh, we've joked about it now with Newark Venture Partners since then, uh, that they found us when we were uh, basically scraping the barrel uh, for for whatever we could, um, but we didn't present ourselves that way, and we presented ourselves as a viable business, whether we had enough money for the next week or the next month. Um, and they were part of helping us get to that next stretch. Uh, and again, weren't probably aware of it at the time, how close that was. Um, so that that's a truth. Um, yeah. But at the same time, we also didn't want to raise a, a huge round of funding. We consciously knew we wanted to build some traction. Lots of construction tech is out there. It's a very hot space. Lots of people taking funding. Not a, Not a wrong thing to do. Everybody has a path. But our path was purposefully towards um, a profitable sale. Since we were an enterprise product, we could sell it at a larger dollar, we felt if we did it right. Um, So Newark Venture Partners helped us get started with that funding um, with a bit of uh, seed during their uh, lab program. So just a small amount of funding for their lab. And then during their lab, developed some private interest. Um, They went to work for us, really weren't going to raise money uh, at that moment. They went to work for us and, and I can't Plug them highly enough as a as an organization, not only their lab program, uh, a bit different than a lot of the accelerators that we did look at and didn't apply to, and then they're they're continued on past their uh, efforts with us. But through that, we wound up with that that pre-seed fund pre-seed round, and in August, um, so a, a year ago, closed that. Uh, now with COVID, um, had we not raised that funding, we would have been in in a in a pinch.
0: Yeah, it, it's it's really curious. I'm thinking right now. I think it was I want to say Reed Hoffman. Someone I think it was him. He was saying something about like raising as much money as you can when you can because you never know when you'll need it. And then like you can't have it, then then it's like that. Well, then you're SOL. And so it, it, there's a fine line there, though, between. Okay, we're going to be smart about how much we raise and when we raise, because you don't want you also don't want to raise too much where you get inflated and then you get lazy as well in some ways, uh, which can be detrimental. But at the same time, like if you're capable of raising it, though, something happens like oh I don't know a global pandemic, uh, well, you're well positioned here. We're all positioned for that, and you know we don't always think there's going to be that. Like we like to think, knock on wood, it's a once in a generational thing to have that. But we, you also don't know as a business, so. It, I'm glad it worked out in that way for you guys, but it's just something for entrepreneurs to think about. There's so many ways to go about it. And one thing I want to go back to with that, you mentioned as well, was the Newark Venture Partners, their lab program, what did that consist of? You're, you're raving about that, but what did that consist of? Why was that so helpful?
1: So uh, their lab program, and, and we were connected mutually through a, a third party. Um, so we weren't really looking for them. They weren't necessarily looking for us. We got connected we jumped in their lab program April a year and a half ago, um and actually a week late um because we were traveling, trying to get our word out and as we came into the program, we were coming in they they had a few components as as most accelerators or labs might um sales marketing um p r fundraising um, and and really just you know mentorship so so they had all those things available we were coming in for the sales engine we wanted to understand. How to build a SaaS sales model. We weren't salespeople, definitely not SaaS salespeople. <laughs> so, um, that's in its own right something different. And of course, then we have a construction industry that, that, uh, probably reacts. Every industry has a little bit different reaction on, in sales. So, so we're trying to figure this model out. We came for that. Um, they have a phenomenal director of growth who kind of walks you through a lot of things and, and through the program. As it turns out, uh, the funding was a key piece. Um, They have an amazing group of people that um, just doggedly go after um, the right funding for the companies in their lab. And I did very little other than follow good instruction. Um, (laughs) And here we are with, you know, several hundred thousand dollars of funding um, actually through VCs and less private, a little bit of private money, but through New York Venture Partners and Scopus Ventures out in LA. Those, that came about from MVP. The other piece with MVP that, that has been, um, I don't know if it's unique to accelerators, but I'll, I'll think it is based on the fact that we cohabitate. So MVP has their offices in Newark, New Jersey. It's a collab type space or a co-work type space. We were in there during our lab program. They're at the end of the, the corridor, if you will, or the, the, the floor in a cubby of desks, all open. And any time of the day that I had a question, somebody was sitting down there, I can walk down and ask from a principal at MVP to the manager of our lab program. They were just that accessible. We graduated lab and stayed. So Jeez. office space provided, didn't move any, with added desks. We added people. Um, we were able to grow in that space and still walk down the hall, ask a question, as dumb a question as it might be. Um, and you can sit and have that conversation as to why did you ask that dumb question? Um, but it's a great dumb question and (laughs) they were phenomenal mentors and have been and continue to be. Um, we, we still lean on the director of growth. We've now contracted, um, him for some work. We've contracted their PR person who has been doing phenomenal for us. So, um, we didn't join for network. We didn't join for get us business, um, I think they're able to do that for different uh, types of companies, the construction tech. They just didn't have an LP group that was construction focused, Um, but we weren't there for that. We were there for that sales engine and then all these other things um, really made them stand out to us. And and we'll continue to have that office in Newark, um, even when we move out of that space uh, and office in Newark to stay close to them for those reasons.
0: Yeah. And it, just one thing just funny going back to, you mentioned asking dumb questions and they can say there's no dumb questions. It's just funny to think about you, you going into an office, maybe asking them a quote unquote dumb question or you think it's a dumb question. It'd be, it would be hilarious. They say, we invested how much in you again? Oh, six okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. Happy to answer. <laughs> But it, it is one of those things where you have to ask for help, right? Understanding you don't know everything. So <laughs> it's, it's you
1: do. And, and I mean, like, look, founders need to relax on themselves too, right? Give ourselves some, <laughs> some break. I mean, things like, you know, how do you wish fuck Like, what is Is it a piece of paper? What are we doing? You know, it's just <laughs> some of the dumbest things you may not think about until you have to do with them and went, wait, there's an instruction manual for that. I mean, I could Google it. Sure. But the fact that the people that invested in us are, are right there. And I can sit down next to them and, and I can laugh about not knowing. And they're excited about us as founders, right? They invested in us. And I think most right. early early VCs invest in team, um, knowledge market and market, and product to some level. But they really invested in us. And so the fact that I think we continue to come to them builds that relationship as well.
0: Yeah. I and mean, like, to your point, the the early investors precede, uh, even like just family friend, they're investing in the founders. I mean, that's, that's yeah. a huge part of it. And yeah, they had an idea that's good, but I've kind of seen it, listened to it over and over again. Founders always are pivoting. I mean, you, there's going to be things that change in the, in the world at large where you have to be flexible, adaptable. So these investors, especially early stage, they understand that and they understand that they are investing in the team itself. And, uh, I'm glad it's been so helpful for you uh, to have them as well as mentors. And just one more note on that being just you have to be able to put your ego aside uh, to be able to ask those questions, understanding that. I think that's a huge part of it because especially with a lot of type A people, it's sometimes can be difficult to do that.
1: It can be. I think um, we're also uh, a bit older for founder, first-time founders, first time founders. And I'm not going to say that means that I have less of an ego. I probably have, you know, for that, I have probably built up more of an ego, but I've also probably had more... <laughs> more humbling experiences in my life um, than I did when I was 25. You know, at 48, I've had plenty of humbling experiences.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, and one thing I want to dig into more, you mentioned really going for that sales, uh, that sales experience is what you went in there for and building this kind of sales engine behind like uh, a B2B SaaS company. I mean, what has been helpful in that regard? What does that kind of look like for you guys today? Because I think for other people listening and wanting to build out that same thing, I mean, that's, that's the name of the game. Like, I'm just curious on how that's gone for you, what that looks like today.
1: Yeah, the MVP program, as far as the sales engine goes, actually included an intern. As a BDR oh, wow. so um, the building that we're we occupy is actually uh, or the floor we occupy is in the Rutgers business building in Newark so between Rutgers and NJIT locally uh, New Jersey Institute of Technology those two campuses uh, provide a, a wealth of young smart talented people that are interested in both entrepreneurship and and opportunity. And so I guess that that just is a great home base for MVP to do what they've done, which is bring in an intern and give you an intern as part of the program. And that intern started making sending emails and making calls in a way that I had never I never understood. I didn't know there was outreach software, um, you know, again, first time founders. So here we are now um, from my LinkedIn and email. Suddenly we have an outbound software tool and it's set up suddenly we have a sales playbook and it was set up. It wasn't something I had to create out of, out of the blue. Uh, I, I answered questions during sales uh, meetings and, and the development of this book was based out of extracting things from my brain, but we didn't have to create it. So the, the work to get it together in the structure that would would uh, be functional, MVP Director of Growth put that together and this BDR intern uh, ran with it, and the manager of the labs program um, managed them. So it really was a no lift for us. That was a good and bad. Um, there were times that I probably wasn't paying as much attention as I should have been um, to how that worked and how to, to manage it once it was ours to manage, and and probably didn't take ownership as early as I should have of it. Uh, but we did our our engine today. It's built in that same format. We had four interns in this last semester. We have three now. Um, working through, we actually hired the intern they had given us, um, kept him on through the year when he graduated in May, hired him full-time, and kind of run that outbound engine. And we're actually just now hiring a full-time sales lead. So somebody that can really replace me, probably been doing it too long and, as double duty with many other things. Um, yeah. So, and, and that's probably a typical founder mistake as well.
0: I mean, that's a, a key component of it is, is hiring the right people and the right team around you to allow you to do what you need to do best and what kind of you're especially your focused on or, or made for just based on your skill set. And um, on that point too then, I mean, how, how have you set up the kind of the intern outreach program and even just more broadly building your team along the way with Riskcast. So the intern program is pretty –
1: Simple process for us because of uh, records and NGIT, they make it very user-friendly. Um, they actually have their own internal sites. We can use those to to get interns from. And then our last class of interns gave us recommendations, referrals. And the last class from NVP, um, we we pulled some folks from there. So any number of ways that are actually pretty simple uh, may not be as mass market available. Um, but, but if you're near a university, my guess is there's a way to do it. Um, they have a tech program, they have a business program, um, something of the sort. As far as how we have continued to hire and look to hire, um, I don't know if it's unique or not. It's the way we started out. And I continue to try to do it this way, which is we we run a draft board. Um, So much like any sports team, we have needs. Um, They change and, you know, players come on, players leave. So needs will change, but we have needs and we, clearly look for people that could fill those needs and uh, and then other things, right? So in in this stage of the game, you still need somebody that can do lots of things, not just one thing. Um, And it takes the person that's ready for the risk of a startup as well. So there's there's lots of components to finding the right people. But if we can develop a draft board for each possible need, uh, at the end of the day, what it means is when it's time to hire, we're able to pull the trigger and do so pretty quickly with somebody that's already been vetted. Somebody that already knows who we are, already understands the risk. So you take away a lot of the, pro- the pain in the process and you build some excitement over time. So some of our key hires came after six months of conversations, knowing that eventually it would be the right time. Three or four people in that on the draft board and, and when the time came, the right person was, was ready and hired them and it, and it was an amazing experience. I, I hope for them, it was for us, it has been.
0: With that draft board, I mean, it's an interesting... I've never heard it before of that type of thing. Are you pinging people to stay in touch along the way? How does A little more on the detail side of how you kind of run that. I'm curious.
1: Right. Um, you're correct. I'm along the way. So the, the draft board may work a little better uh, for Reggie and I, because again, we're in our forties. We have a draft board of people that are experienced. Um, yeah. That might be, that might be a, uh, in our favor, but but regardless, the way we've done that is knowing somebody that's been good at this in the past based on another software company that we had experience with or um, someone that we knew through college, someone we met from a company we worked with, they, they went on our list of like, oh, they'd be a great team member. And like, what do they do? Do they fit in anything we need? Oh, they do, let's, let's, let's reach out to them, let's just talk. Let's just have a conversation and, and, and broach the subject and see what happens. And the ones that were interested in staying in touch I've kept a regular cadence with. And in that regular cadence, they hear our growth, they watch us, they start to follow along. And then by the time it's ready for us to pull a trigger, they know if they really want to jump in to the, the chaos that can be a startup, the risk that can be a startup, um, but the excitement that can be a startup.
0: Along the way, in the last three years, understanding you're building this this software to help out in, in the construction industry, and there are other players in this market. I mean, how do you view competition? What's been your approach uh, to that?
1: Um, initial approach, I uh, have to admit, I probably paid too much attention. Um, we were building a platform. We had a solution. We were very interested in understanding how our competition was selling. And... Because we're building a platform, we have competition in two ways. We have a competition for the full platform. And then we have competition of siloed um, solutions that make up a platform. Um, And different approaches to both markets. I, I probably overly paid attention to a lot of that until we had a bit of validation from a few customers where I realized to trust in what we were doing was probably the smarter move. Um, to be aware of the competitors but not spend too much time on them, Um, uh, focus on what we do well, focus on capturing market and and you know, there's an old saying from, from where I'm from is a dog in the hunt doesn't know it has fleas. Um <laughs> so you really don't know there's competitors out there, uh if you've just got your head down and you're gaining traction. Um but but you did need to be you do need to be aware. So um early on I probably paid too much attention. Now it's a it's a balance of understanding um when we maybe message something into a marketing world or something into the bigger space.
0: At this point as well, three years in, I mean, you you mentioned kind of getting that first customer and everything you've gone to to get to that point, which is always a, a lot for startups. And depending on, again, how big the, the project is, I mean, it's one thing for selling a $10 product and getting your first customers and another thing if you're building a software solution for a much bigger client. I mean, what kind of traction are you at today w- with the company in general?
1: Yeah, so we are... What I would consider our second full year, um, you know, in 2019, had a few, a handful of customers using the system, you know, maybe 200 users uh, or 200 uh, people in the system, and running out a construction sites, maybe 30 or 40 construction sites. Um, we're now probably on about 300 construction sites. We're thousands of users in, or thousands of headcount in the system, thousands of headcount yeah. in the system um and the the traction for that was originally from medium-sized companies and then COVID hit and that turned a little bit to the larger companies the sales cycle are very different as you can imagine um so this this year has been um, a balance of um, what i would consider medium-sized accounts and super large accounts um so Traction, what we expected this year, uh will we'll probably be down in logo count, but we'll be over in finance. Uh, we'll be over in ARR.
0: Yeah. And, and, and with COVID that we mentioned there, I mean, take me through how that's kind of affected the business and how you've, uh, how you've adjusted or adapted to this you know, global pandemic situation.
1: Yeah, right. And as you said earlier, uh, you, know, you never know what's going to come. And <laughs> um, we had a solid plan and had raised money with a solid plan. Um solid plan was was mid-sized businesses and, and really gaining some traction with numbers of customers. And COVID hit and that sector of the market is probably a little bit more on pause than others because they're they're trying to figure out their forecasts for themselves and how do they do things. What happened during COVID was um, unique to everybody, but we, we seem to see that the larger customers have taken an opportunity of slowdown to build foundations back up, uh, improve processes, improve systems. Um, from our perspective, again, from where I'm from, this analogy worked well. Depends on what you follow sports wise, but it, it's a pace lap in NASCAR. Um, <laughs> so here we are in the middle of a race. Everybody's normally hair on fire and suddenly everybody's into the pits trying to do work on their car. So these large companies that have backlog, large construction companies, they're providing infrastructure. So everybody hears about infrastructure still is one of the ways to recover from the pandemic. Um, these companies have backlog today. They expect more. They're now shoring up while they have time. Their projects are moving a little slower today still, but they're they're all going. So they're doing things like, you know, do we have the right. You know, structure for people. Do we have the right processes? Do we have systems yeah. to support our processes? That's having them look more actively than they would in the past when they they were really hair on fire still.
0: And then looking to the future, and it's hard to predict clearly with with the this current situation we're in right now. But understand, like, what is the kind of big vision for RiskCast? I know there's a lot more you want to do with it. What's the big vision for you guys? Uh,
1: RiskCast is exciting for Reggie and I now to see over the first couple horizons. RiskCast was designed as a job cost tool. And really the name RiskCast comes from forecasting all levels of risk on a construction project. We're excited to see enough over the horizon now to know that we're, we can see that next layer. Um, RiskCast is really hitting, um, or RiskCast market is really an underserved market by most of the construction tech we are now in a place where we can start adding the tools that those companies were looking for. That's exciting. But we're also in a place where we can start to think through value-add beyond just getting digital. So the construction industry is a very non-digital industry. And getting digital is a first step. And a lot of folks want to get right to AR and VR and, and really some flashy things. Which, is, which are exciting and, and we need to get to. But that's, you know, companies looking at AR goggles and still recording time on paper. And, <laughs> and you know, there's a, disconnect so in, there's a disconnect in there. And, and, you know, to get from paper to digital, to be able to do any analytics takes so long and then the data is old. And so the analytics are, are not helpful for current decision-making. They're helpful to look back on. And and that was the piece we were tackling. So I think our methodical march of understanding, you know, get the core data in, and and if we do that, and we can withstand the the year or two of building that base, then suddenly that information becomes instantly valuable. Uh, we can give people real time job cost and analytics about their projects. So now you're talking productivity at the at the end of the day that just happened, versus you're behind schedule. At a monthly meeting, right? And that's a, that's a normal. Well you're behind schedule. And once a month, somebody updates the schedule and updates the budget <laughs> and looks at a forecast. We can now give it instant visibility. So we're excited to be there because that's the yeah. foundation now to do all the other fun things people talk about, like machine learning, predictive analytics, and then start to do things like AI. The words, you know, the, the, the letter AI, The letters A.I. are are dangerous letters in the industry. Uh, I I didn't understand how much data it took to do A.I. properly. Um, It's a lot. And and so we don't use those words today. We will use those words. And the exciting part is we're starting to build data to a place where we know we'll be able to do that. And that's going to be a lot of fun.
0: Yeah. And looking at it, it's just funny talking to so many people in different industries, how archaic some industries still are. And mm-hmm. it's like, you know, very early stages of of changing some things over. One person that comes to mind is my buddy Greg, who uh he's a founder and CEO of Capital Markets Gateway, and they are in the financial industry. And that, I mean, still going, whether it be paper or like basic PDF documents to get information, like, wait, shouldn't there be like a platform for this? Shouldn't there be something better for <laughs> this? And it's like he would know being in the industry for years and years. And to your point, I think he's a little over 50 years old and like similar age. He's had experience in the industry. He's like, wait, like this is just like, how is this still this way in 20 at the time? It was maybe like 2016 or something. How is it still this way? And then they, you know, build a platform to improve upon that similar to what you guys are doing. And they just finished their like series B in funding. And they have some yeah. of the biggest financial companies in the world on board
1: so you describe what could be a lot of exciting and a lot of ex- excitement for us in the near future yes exactly yeah i see exactly. the parallels yes. for
0: sure <laughs> it's opportunity when you have these industries that are the same for so long but you have people like yourself who have industry experience and understand it and then can adapt along the way to then to build technology into it and yeah like you said ai and everything is going to really change how many industries operate but the data side, man, you need a lot of data to, have to really train that AI as well.
1: You do. And and I, I think, you know, in an industry like ours, if you're not from it, uh, a fun way to see how archaic it may be, as impressive as a construction site is when you look at one, a LaGuardia, an LAX, um, you know, whatever the, the fancy project is in the city that you might live in, but just walk up to a normal construction project here in Manhattan. They're on every corner. Stand and watch. And and for every four or five people that are working, there's somebody that with a field book, like a book, a notebook, a piece of paper, and a pen, yeah. writing stuff down. And all that information um, should get back to a system. Typically, it doesn't. Enough gets back yeah. to a system to make payroll. Everything else is stuck in that book. Um, how <laughs> do you improve if that's the way you're working? And and it was just some patience knowing that if we did that, the the instant wins were there. But yeah, but that's some patience. And I think in this current day and age of startups, uh, there's a lot of want to rush to the next um, major disruption. Uh, by no stretch are we disrupting a market today, but we are yeah. putting the data in place that will enable real change.
0: One of the things you just mentioned there around it being kind of the data being stuck in notebooks and and these kind of sources that you can't then leverage, it's actually... That's almost exactly how I think about running Just Go Grind the podcast. I feel like all this knowledge, these insights, these stories are stuck in these entrepreneurs' heads who just haven't voiced them yet, but we could all kind of benefit as building companies from, oh, what if we talked to Alec on the show and shared his story and his insights from building this company? Like he's there's so many things on the way you learn and that's literally how I think about running this whole podcast and everything, it's like, there's amazing entrepreneurs out there across all levels, across all industries. And these and insights and these stories can be so helpful for others. And then that ultimately leads to more progress across every industry. And uh, I think that's just something to take note of with that. And like, it's kind of, I'm kind of trying to do something similar in that regard. So I love what you mentioned around that and what you're doing in that that space. And
1: Justin, let me say thank you for doing it. I did not find your podcast when we were starting. Um, it would have been great if I had, but I accessed to to exactly as you described it. So many resources from existing founders, whether it was yeah. Y Combinator classes online, um, whether it was podcasts that I was recommended to, um, you know, AZ, right? And so there's 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 all these very um, renowned folks that you can go learn from. But then it's the it's it's really wanting to get the, the folks that are still in, in the battle, right? Smoke a battle on them that you want to yeah. hear from. And, and hearing from more of those people is is how I spent my first year and a half. Um, you know, you could say I was in isolation in an apartment by myself, you know, as, as Reggie and I built it. <laughs> but what I was doing was surrounding yeah. myself with all the things you're talking about. Um, so thankful that you're doing it because that's how I learned a ton in the first year or two. And made some really actually great network, networking connections um, at local events in New York that, again, like yours, were set up for just that purpose. I took access to all of them, right? There's, there's no reason someone can't listen to a podcast and get something from it. And that yeah. one thing could change everything
0: well and to that point as well i mean especially and you look at the value you've talked about with nvp and going through that program and having access to more people and i think about uh, the number of people i've interviewed recently who have been through tech stars and they they rave about the network it's like okay that's, that's that is amazing and i think there's a there's so much value in that but also how do you give access to other people who didn't get into tech stars or didn't get into MVP, yep. and like still want to build things. And how do you start to create that network and start to give them the resources they need? And like that's that's kind of what fuels me. But I could discuss that for hours and hours. So we're not <laughs> going to dig into that too in depth. What I want to know as well, though, along the way and being a first-time founder, were there any particular books, whether it be personal or professional, that have just been kind of impactful for your life, Alec? Well,
1: uh, I'll be remiss and forget so many titles. Um, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that. I have read and now listened to through, um, audible just dozens and dozens of titles in the last three years. But before that, way back when, um, I had a core group of books that I hung on to and read, um, from some, some real basics. Um, how to win friends that influence people, Dale, Dale Carnegie, um, yep. the power of positive thinking, Norman Vincent Peale. I mean, these are some old classics that don't, Go old. Um, they're tried and true for a reason. Those were phenomenal. Um, so I've leaned on those. I've reread those, and then in the modern era, um, a lot of things that have come out again through podcasts. Um, you know, Rocket Fuel, great book. Um, you know, I, I'd have to pull up my I'd have to pull up my Audible and send you a list. I mean, it, it is uh, <laughs> remarkable what we've been through. Um, yeah. But I would say um, I heard many years ago. You know, you are in life based on the books you read and the people you hang around with, right? So yeah, if, if you want to grow, you know, read some things from some people that are growing, get around some people to your point of the podcast, listen to some people that are growing, right? That's how you're going to get there, even if they're not in your industry.
0: Absolutely. So much to learn from everyone around you and books are, I've kind of always said, it's the greatest life hack. I mean, to be able to take years of experience, potentially uh, siphon down to a few hours of reading or a few hours of listening with Audible. I mean, it just kind of, It's kind of insane what you can access, and that does evolve. That that is what directly impacts your thinking. I mean, what you're listening to and seeing every day, and surrounding yourself with great people. And uh, there's so much to be said for that. And uh, it's been helpful for me. Uh, I'm glad to hear it's been helpful for you as well. And to wrap things up, where can people go to learn more about what you're doing with Riskcast and uh, connect with you if they want to as well?
1: Well, they can definitely check us out on our website, um, Riskcast.com. Check us out on Twitter at Riskcast. Um, we have wonderful PR people making sure we're out there these days, um, Love it. and you know, and following us through LinkedIn as well. So those are those are three good ways to see what's what's happening with us. Um, we've joined some some alliances recently in the industry; um, those are getting promoted on all those channels. So, so that's a good way to to find us today.
0: Perfect. And I'll be sure to link all of those as well in the show notes at just slash podcast. Alec, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show today.
1: Justin, I very much appreciate it. It's been, been, been a lot of fun. I look forward to checking out some of your other episodes um, as we've gotten acquainted.
0: Absolutely. Thank you for listening to this episode of Just Go Grind. I really appreciate you taking the time to listen.